Episode 2, A Conversation with Karen Smith. Uh, Hello, and welcome back to the Keep Your Day Job podcast, uh, election edition. I am excited to be here today with uh, second time, well, running for her second term candidate, Karen Smith. Hello, Karen. How are you? I am good. Thank you, Ed, very much for having me here. I so appreciate the opportunity to talk. Absolutely. Well, that's what we do here. (laughs) Uh, So let's go ahead and get started. Give yourself an opportunity to introduce yourself to the viewers or listeners. Well, um, my name is Karen Smith. Uh, This will be, um, I'm completing my first term and working towards getting reelected for the opportunity to serve for another four years. Um, my husband and I moved here in 2008 with the housing crisis and the economic downturn that accompanied that. My husband was recruited by State Farm, and after we were here, I succeeded in going on with the College of Business at ISU to teach in their accounting department. I retired from that in 2020 but I still continue to teach an online graduate level course for a college in Michigan, and my husband is still with State Farm. Excellent. Well, that's really interesting. We'll have to talk about the ISU connection later, so. Um, Cool, well, so, you know, for this interview, we've got kind of a myriad of questions all over the board. Um, Some that are more conceptual in nature, others give you an opportunity to give listeners some insight into your decision making. Um, This first one, kind of a fun question I like to start with. Uh, Can you provide an example of a time in the past year when you received a piece of information that may have changed your thinking on an issue? Well, I am a history buff, and so I have been going back and reading books from mid-1900s to educate myself about the things that were happening there, particularly World War II and its aftermath, because I think it shaped so much of what the U.S. experienced following the war and in many cases still is, is influencing us today. One book was called The Resistance, and it talked about the resistance in Europe once Nazi occupation overran the countries there. And um, the other one dealt with the Marshall Plan that was implemented after World War II ended. Um, The resistance revealed to me the uncertainty Europeans dealt with when Germany first took control of the countries. There was no way of knowing what changes would, would occur, how long they would need to endure, and there was an inability to communicate with efforts in other countries. The Marshall Plan story showed how difficult this was to pass a divided government. Uh, At the time, Truman was president, but both Congress and the House of Representatives and the Senate were controlled by Republicans. It took a large delegation of congressmen traveling to Europe to see for themselves the devastation of roads, bridges, factories, farms, before they were convinced they should pass this bill. And what's amazing in present day terms is, they passed this bill in April 1948, before the upcoming presidential election that November, even though they understood it would give Truman a positive story to tell. Um, So uh, that is incredulous to me. Um, So in terms of changing my thinking, 
I hadn't considered the uncertainty Europeans dealt with throughout the Nazi regime. And despite that, there were stories upon stories of people who chose to do the right thing. And as for the Marshall Plan, I had wondered about how such a massive aid package was passed in light of resistance to, to foreign handouts. Ultimately, the U.S. realized that unless Europe recovered economically, we would not have any markets for our goods since our production capacity was largely untouched. And if you see the pictures out of Ukraine, you see the bombing mm -hmm. and the devastation of the cities. That was true of all of the major cities in Europe, in France, in Italy, in Germany, absolutely, in England, in Greece. So there, there really wasn't a market uh, for our goods, and it was a lot of self-interest that, that led to passage of the Marshall Plan. Yeah, no, those are, those are great examples, and I mean, I think the question asked what changed your thinking, but it sounds like those things just kind of help to continue and in, inform in and evolve your thinking, especially you hit two things right on the head there, right? We've got global conflict going on right now that's very similar to world wars in the past and a political conflict here domestically. So, I mean, it would be almost unheard of to try and get something like that passed now. Um, that's very interesting to reflect on that. Thank you. So next, let's uh, let's pivot to a local issue that, for me, um, it, well, most of these questions I have are somewhat influenced by the national dialogue. But um, I'm a data person, so this flock camera story resonated with me. Um, you know, there's a, a smart cities element to it. There's this kind of big brother connotation, and I'm using air quotes with that. Uh, there's the expense factor, which I'm always interested in local expenses because I think at around 85,000, um, it seems nominal, but I think other people may argue differently. Um, and then there's the issue of improving our ability to police and keep the community safe. Um, can you provide some perspective on, on this issue and, and what informed your vote here? Well, I appreciate it that there was a lot of information made available to us mm -hmm. before we took the vote. Um, there were presentations provided to council members uh, in advance where we could ask questions and, and get information. And then at the council meeting itself, there was additional presentation of the, the system and the ability to ask questions about the program. One of the things about the flock camera, it is not a system where somebody is sitting in front of a monitor and continuously looking at the images going by of cars passing through uh, the streets or crossing intersections. It is collecting data that should a need arise can be accessed for purposes such as an amber alert mm -hmm. or the report of a stolen car. Um, and what I appreciate about that is that it is not something where there is the witnessing of an event that triggers an immediate response. And because I think those uh, traffic stops that are um, spontaneous, that is, is problematic and it's been proven time and time again. Mm -hmm. But the flock camera system is different from that. And also, and I, I spoke to someone with uh, town staff today to confirm this, so long as nothing is required to be part of an ongoing investigation, the data is not saved. Oh, okay. Okay, so, so um, again, like leading back into that big brother conspiratorial mindset, um, I'll just ask, so if, 
if there was a bad actor that wanted to get access to that data locally who was on town staff or police staff, would they have access to that if there were no just cause? Well, that was one of the questions that came up in the council session for the public to, to hear. Um, access to these cameras will be greatly restricted. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, no political official mm -hmm. has any way to, to look at the cameras and, and collect any data. I think one of the issues I was I, I asked about was if, if there were marital difficulties, would someone possibly use that yeah. um, in, in a dis, dis, divorce dispute? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was assured that these cameras are not intended to, to provide access to anybody except for the, the police that were collecting the data mm -hmm. to be to used and accessed in the event there is a situation like an amber alert or a store, stolen car alert. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you mentioned police stops. I, I would assume you're referring to kind of like the, the proactive police stops that may have happened um, in the past, like it, as an alternative to having a tool like this? Correct. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Well, thank you. And then I guess from the, an expense perspective, um, it's hard to put an expense on safety. But how did you think about that expense? Um, and, and I'm speaking as a layman who doesn't have a lot of insight into what other expenses you're juggling. Well, the town has a number of uh, contracts for software. So in many respects, the, the fee structure for this mimics what we would pay for an ongoing software license. Okay. And um, I think there was some additional expense because of the, the equipment itself being put in place, but I, I can't, don't quote me on it, but I, I don't believe those expenses continue mm -hmm. when, when we continue to have the system. And the other reason causing us to look at this flock system is it is similar, if not identical, to what is being put into place elsewhere in Illinois so that consistency and compatibility provides for the ability mm -hmm. to to use it in response to alerts we receive from outside our communities. No, I think that's a good point because I did some research on this and this is a this is a large company. There's, they have a large presence in Illinois and, and nationally. So um, thanks. Thanks for entertaining that question. All right. The next few questions I have are, are sort of focused around town development, uh, housing, people, and place, right? So this first question um, is about housing. Is the housing that we are building in line with the salary of the jobs being created? We hear a lot about affordable housing. So how do we know? How do we know we're building the right housing for the market? Well, I think that new housing that's being developed is in line with the, the new jobs that are being attracted, created in, in our community. Um, but in terms of are they aligned with our existing resi residents? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, one of the things I see as a potential that's happening is that if new residents are able to move into to these newly built units, or if some of our existing residents who have too much house mm -hmm. and not a lot of options available to them, if they're able to move uh, and give up their their larger homes with the larger square footage to to new residents that yeah. are are seeking a different uh, type of housing than what the market currently has. This could trigger kind of a domino where mm -hmm. people are able to move up and and freeing up 
than entry-level housing for, for people that can't really afford these houses. One of the things that is of a concern to me is we really don't have affordable housing for low income and we really don't have much in the way of alternatives where there's a supportive uh, service included in the housing for people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, we have a large population of individuals with autism mm -hmm. that are aging out of the school system. Um, it's, it's not a, an, a really good solution for them to always consider living with their family right. because um, speaking as someone who, whose own child is in this situation, it would give me peace to, to see my daughter settled in some kind of a supportive housing situation while I'm alive so that I, I can witness that she's making that transition and that her care is being adequately provided. Okay. If, if someone is caring for, for their child, uh, and I use the child loosely, who could be in their 30s or 40s, right. and that situation exists until the caretaker passes, um, it's, it's a crisis situation then to find that individual mm -hmm. a, a suitable place to live with all the services they need. Yeah. Wow, that's, I mean, that's an angle that I really hadn't thought about a real lot. I think we hear a lot about, you know, like residencies for the growing senior population, but that's a really good point. Does the council influence that? Does the council have capacity to? The, if the council were to get heavily involved in this, there would have to be the will to uh, permit the council to direct tax dollars mm. towards this need. Incentivizing this, right? Mm. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think for the most part, we have deferred to the not-for-profit world to, to provide this. Now, um, could, the, could the council work on providing some kind of support? Well, a recent example is um, when Mark First was looking at purchasing what was the previous peer, Compeer financial mm -hmm. building, mm -hmm. um, they approached the council about could, could normal make available to them some help with their down payment. And because we had ARPA dollars, we did make that $500,000 contribution to them. Um, but it's, it's been a wonderful uh, boost for Mark First mm -hmm. because they had been in a too small building surrounded by concrete, bordered by Veterans Parkway. Yeah. They're now in a much larger space. They are adjacent to Shepherd's Park. Mm -hmm. um, they've been able to expand their day program and they're able also to partner with Brother Boys and Girls Club to offer a normal satellite for the services that they're doing at their location in Bloomington. That's awesome, that is great. Thank you for that. <laughs> As a community member, thank you. That's, that's a win. Uh, okay, so uh, let's talk about workers. On the heels of the workers' right amendment, um, will the town support workers with the same energy it has for supporting businesses? And I, I say that not to say that the town is only focused on businesses, um, but I say that because I think we hear in the media, you know what I mean, just generally, we hear more about um, those incentives that go to businesses. I guess it's more splashy on the pages. Well, um, I... Again, checking with town staff, I wanted to make sure I, I was accurate in this. And what I was told is state law does require us to have contracts that stipulate that the wages paid have to be at the going rate for the community. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, that's a standard 
that that we already adhere to. Mm -hmm. In terms of and other, so is that for all contracts then? Okay. For the vast majority of contracts, they okay. were they were laying out some different types. And since I am not uh, on the administrative side of the business. I didn't retain the specifics of what they were talking about, but I do know that when we have major have had major construction projects, um, the question has come up, and usually I'm reassured, yes, and and we do this because the the state requires us to. Now, uh, John Penn was on yeah, the radio article. Yeah. Th this morning, and he was talking about how um, they have pushed to have worker representation on boards and my notes. that was and, in my notes good call <laughs> and I, I think I think that really um, it just requires at times challenging established thinking yes um, and uh, I, I taught a class at ISU that was a business survey class and the textbook had a chapter on unions and I always made it a point to include that discussion because I wanted the students to appreciate the, the growth of unions mm -hmm. and some of the driving forces behind unions. Um, so you know, we have a five-day work week because of unions. We have uh, vacation and sick pay because of unions. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's, there's not a lot that normal town council can be a voice in um, because in Illinois, many of those efforts have already been put into place. Sure. And, but we're, I'm totally in support of recognizing the contribution of workers and no one really uh, is, succeeds on their own. And, and so to understand that a, a business succeeds not just because of a dynamic leader, but because <laughs> of the people that are employed. And several years ago, he, here in Illinois, there was a company where when it was sold, the owner of the company actually gave bonuses to everybody and split the proceeds with everybody. And people who'd been there for years were walking away with thousands, if not several hundred thousand dollars, and mm -hmm. it just blew them away. Um, and and I, I applaud somebody who understands that they are successful because there are people that put their effort into their dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So um, if I could ask then, so one of the things when I was doing some research on that question was talking about having employee representation on committees. So I, you mentioned that John Penn had mentioned on the radio. Is that something that we're working towards? Is this something we have today? Well, I know this is a bone of contention for one of the council members um, okay. about uh, not seeing the names that have been nominated for uh, particular committee for, for okay. particular okay. committees, mm -hmm. um, and and it's it's not that normal is different from other municipalities that yeah. operate this way. I mean, I I subscribe to uh, an e newsletter coming from the state, and, and I saw where Pritzker announced some of his appointments. So it's, it's standard practice. I, I am proud to say that when Connect Transit formed their working group, that that working group model, was modeled after riders. So they, they had 
they had somebody with autism yep. um, on it. Um, we, we have, uh, it was, there, was, there was a mother of someone uh, whose son was Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. There was more of an effort to recognize that we need to have the representation so that the decisions that are made that are going to impact the, the individuals who use this service yeah. can, in fact, um, reflect their Uh, can in fact, in fact, reflect the the ridership. Yeah. So. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I think when I ask that union question, I think a lot about um, some of the you know some of the, the the chain companies that come to town, and I think you know I think it, it it's a more a more splashy example to talk about something like Starbucks, and then you know, as as a town, we think about incentivizing some of these companies to come here. I just. I'm, I'm appreciative to see that you're, you're kind of thinking through some of the impacts that that could be on workers. So, thank you. Next question, um, Uptown Normal. So as we think about the expansion of Uptown Normal, um, should that project at all hinge on the success of like the current, you know, the, the, the initial expansion, right? Like we've got some vacant space there. Is, is that vacant space okay? Should we move forward with the next expansion? Well, one of the things I want to clarify is yeah. the town of Normal does not own one uptown. Okay. The, the individual who owns that, mm -hmm. he is tasked with finding a tenant yeah. for that space. Yeah. Um, it was unfortunate that buildings were demolished before, um, and there was a time lag before something got built. Mm -hmm. and. There, I, I believe there was just a lot of pressure to see that there was a structure put in place. Yeah. And uh, in order to make the numbers work, um, that's part of the reason why the rents are at the level they are, that the town of Normal pays to occupy the second floor. Now, in our discussions with the developer for Trail East and Trail West, um, they were clear from the beginning that they wanted to be doing both at the same time because they had a threshold of 150 units, rental units, before they could make the numbers work. Mm -hmm. And that was with the interest rates at that time. Yeah. Um, and you'll know, <laughs> you'll notice that Uptown One does not have 150 units in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't a much pushback and challenge to show me how this will work with this number of units um, without the town's greater participation in it. Okay. And, um, and so we, we've gone through one developer that backed out mm -hmm. of Trail East. Uh, we've been working with another developer for Trail East and Trail West. Unfortunately, the Fed has been raising interest rates Yes. Um, so it's, it's kind of hit a pause right. for the yeah, time I did being. That story. Um, but, but that's because it's a private developer. Mm -hmm. And so we're challenging that private develop developer to, we can give you the TIF that works to your advantage, mm -hmm. um, but we, we don't want to be committed to more to support your projects. And all of the discussion about the development south of the tracks is primarily private development. So mm -hmm. it has to satisfy a private developer's cost-benefit analysis and, and crunching the numbers to see if they can make it work. And until interest rates come down, there that may be a challenge. Right, right. Yeah, and I know it's, 
I mean, what was it just recently that there was the story about the raising interest rates kind of putting a pause to that? Um, so well, the, the mortgage rates have more than doubled from mm -hmm. what they were a year ago. Yeah. They've come down slightly in recent months. The, the Fed has started to pull back mm -hmm. on their interest rates. Um, they were raising them by half a percentage point. The most recent increase was a quarter of a percentage point. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I, I heard on um, Market Watch, I think it is, on, on NPR, saying that even with the easing of inflation, which they're seeing, they're, they're not seeing too much of a hit to unemployment. Mm -hmm. um, so they said this could be the, the soft landing that is their ideal. Mm. And in fact, the January job numbers that just came out are, are people are struggling to understand. I think it's over 500,000. Yeah. No, those jobs numbers are interesting. I mean, I, yeah, no, I, I appreciate the insight there. Um, and I guess, so what is your reaction to people who just say, look, like to that sentiment that people won't be satisfied until that building is full? You see, you see where I'm going with this, right? I, I see where you're going with that. And um, it's understandable. Yeah. Um, but we can't force a private business owner. He can't drag someone kicking and streaming into that space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, this, the same constraints that a developer is seeing on new construction with interest rates, a, a business owner is seeing on their borrowing if they want to go into that space yeah. and, and make modifications to suit their needs for that space. <laughs> so the normal will continue to pay for that then? Pay to rent that space, right? We're renting that space. Um, we do need that space okay. because there, there, it isn't as if you walk into City Hall mm -hmm. across the street and, and go, hello, 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 <laughs> and, and, and see all these uh, empty desks. Sure. Um, and, and if you go to the second floor of One Uptown, you see that it's occupied space. Um, so it, if, we're, if we're using the space, we're paying the rent per the agreement, mm -hmm. we can't default on an agreement. Yeah, I agree um, with that. It would be wonderful if we could find, find somebody to sublet it. Mm -hmm. um, and efforts have been made, but it hasn't worked so far. That doesn't mean we have stopped making those efforts. So if anyone's interested in subletting that space, you can reach back out after the podcast. <laughs> Thanks. All right, well, so let's, uh, let's pivot a little bit and talk kind of more conceptually about the council. These last four questions that I have here are, are sort of broader. Um, so my first one's sort of along the lines of voter turnout. Um, we don't have a big turnout for local elections, and this is sort of an off election to, to boot. Um, so what is your thought on voter turnout, and how do you try to engage the non-voter demographic? Well, I think it is regretful that voter turnout in municipal elections is low. But it doesn't help when suspicion about the voting process is sown. As Mitt Romney stated in his floor speech after the January 6th insurrection, and they were able to reconvene to begin that process of again looking at um, confirming Biden had won the presidency, and as he stated, those who insist on an audit of the election results to convince voters that this election was not stolen, the best way we can show respect for the voters who are upset is by telling them the truth. And 
And what he was trying to, to point out is that it's, it's disingenuous to say, well, voters are suspicious. Well, they're suspicious because you tell them to be suspicious. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think it is the duty of leadership to tell the truth and not spread untruth. So I'm going to jump ahead to, to one of my next questions. I really appreciate your answer there. Um, and that's, that's kind of focused along more of the polarization, right? So we talked a little bit about that Responsible Cities Political Action Committee. And I did some reading on like the conception of it. And very broadly, they were looking to kind of curb the, the Jen Carrillo, Jeff Crayville type candidate. Um, and so my question in response to that is like, doesn't this polarization always need to, does it always, I guess, does it always need to exist? And without it, are we representative? It doesn't need to exist. Okay. You know, as, as I mentioned to you in my reading of the Marshall Plan, it, it, it almost sounds incredulous today to see that a Republican House of Representative and a Republican Senate pushed forward a Marshall Plan that mm -hmm. made a Democratic president look good months before the November election. So it, it has happened. Where we went wrong, it's hard to say. Sure. Um, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get better by continuing the same things. That's the classic definition of insanity. No, that does make sense. And so, I mean, in your time here in this community, you said you've been here since around 2008. Has, has this, I guess I would say, has this polarization increased with the rise of the polarization at the national level? Is it just really a consequence of what we're seeing more broadly? Well, I, I, I really am sad that the polarization at the national level is filtering down to the local level. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've heard individuals justify, well, it's okay to badmouth your congressional representative because they're in NDC and, and people historically yeah. will, will want to push back at someone who's removed because the representatives are representing such a large area. Mm -hmm. um, but why, why should somebody use that same venom to attack an individual who's their neighbor, sure. who they're going to run into the grocery store, they're going to see at PTA meetings, they're, they're going to bump into them at, at the health club mm -hmm. or, or festivals. Yeah. Um, th there's nothing that is gained with anger and expressing that completely. Um, you have to keep the channels of communication open. And, and I think if there's more effort made on searching for where do we agree than it is on here is where I stand and uh, looking at the world with black and white where you're either with me or you're against me. Right. And, and I, I don't think, it, politics should not be a win winner take all game. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really replaced sports for a lot of people, that's, that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, and I mean, but I, I, in that same breath, I would say that I'm, I've been equally attracted to politics as a result of some of this polarization. Um, I mean, we, we had a, a pretty interesting presidential character for a while there. So, uh, 
I mean, and so, so I think it's, it's good and bad, right? It has got, it's brought more people to the table, but I think that your point is well heard that um, we have to speak about things with a common language and at least start from there. And then we can speak about how we differ and deviate politically. Um, but if we don't start with common ground, it's not gonna help us. When, when I was teaching that business survey class, it included an assignment where uh, teams of four mm -hmm. had to report on a company. And um, part of the requirement was they had to use vetted sources. And I, I would demonstrate them how to access databases that were available to them from the library. They didn't have to go to the library. They could simply use these search engines for these databases to identify information about their company. And there was a, one whole class just teaching them how to use that because it's not as simple as typing in a word or a phrase and it pops up. Mm -hmm. And what I explained to them is that when you Google something, um, an algorithm determines what you see. But when you make a conscious effort to search, tell me what you can about the Marshall Plan. Right. And from this period to this period, it will pull up the Marshall Plan based on what your parameters were, mm -hmm. the name of, of the act, and the period of time that you're looking for. Right. And it's everything has an author's name attached to it. Somebody, because it's published, somebody has proved it, somebody has verified the, the sources used and referenced in there, and I think that is so important to insist that someone can support mm -hmm. their information with factual information, which is different from opinion. Sure, yeah, no, and I think in the age of the internet, anybody can purchase a microphone and become an expert. <laughs> a little tongue in cheek there, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I think, I mean, I remember, I, I, I went to college, like I mentioned, right, early 2000s, and so that was the period where, I mean, Google was available, but we were still challenged to um, dig through some of those more research-focused search engine uh, where, you, where you're right, those sort of parameters were important. And I think a lot of people have uh, questioned, sometimes rightfully so, um, the process of reviewing and evaluating. There may be some bias within that process, uh, but it is better than um, no process at all. So especially when we're trying to find common ground. If we can't agree on a set of facts to begin with, yeah, to your yes. point, we're not going anywhere. Makes sense. So, uh, jumping back in order, <laughs> what, what is the message to voters who feel somewhat cynical after this past year, right? Like, I, I think for a number of different reasons, um, people have their opinions about the way things went with the referendum. What is, what's the message to them? Well, I think it's a challenge if voters are limiting themselves to sources that only agree with them. Fair. Um, I, I think to, to, to be fair, it requires going outside of your comfort zone and, and seeking out information from multiple perspectives and filtering through it and seeing if you can find some common ground or if you can see where something is better supported than something else. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of helping connect with someone I, I, that may be a non-voter, I challenge any representative to not just wait to be contacted by someone through an email or a phone call, 
but to, to get out into the community. Um, I, I make it a point to, to go to events just to, to see uh, and connect with people and many times stay in the background just to hear what is being said for myself. Mm -hmm. So um, I've gone to some planning meetings where um, I've, I wasn't part of that process. I had actually shown up for the sign ordinance, but it just so happened there was a very hot button uh, housing project yeah. that was under consideration. And I was like, okay, let's see what everybody is saying here. They seem to be quite upset. Mm -hmm. um, other times I've gone to a presentation where the um, parks department was there to talk to the neighborhood residents about the ideas for this park. And they had a process for soliciting feedback on um, what should we include, mm -hmm. our basketball courts, playground equipment. Um, they, were, they were honest to say, it can't really support a soccer field. It's not big enough for that. But, but it was giving people a chance to vote on what they wanted. And they're taking that feedback back to help shape it. Um, when, when we had the CBDG grant application renew, come up for renewal, um, it, it was winding down its funding process the first year I was on the council. Um, but subsequently, we were able to start a new cycle. It's, I think it runs about five years. And historically, a lot of the, the CBDG DG dollars, Community Block Development Grant dollars, mm -hmm. a lot of them had been used for paving in low-income neighborhoods. And as for myself, I'm like, you know, in a true low-income neighborhood, not everybody's going to own a car. Um, and and I, I challenged that, but I don't think there was um, a high level of participation in, in the process. So, uh, and, and I know the, the town has reached out, but on my own, I was posting it on my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. I made copies of the flyers. I hand delivered them to some apartments off Orlando. I went down to the Boys and Girls Club and I stopped by um, the, the church um, on Mount Pisgah. Mm -hmm. and, um, because I, I figured, even though that's not part of blooming of normal, there would still be people that would participate in those programs yeah. that, that might have a voice. And I was very pleased to hear that at the library, following that, they had a greater participation than they'd ever had. Mm -hmm. Plus, they were they were also reaching out through the internet to have people participate online. Yeah. So. Most people were voting for sidewalks. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, not to simplify your answer, but in a sense, I think you're encouraging people to get involved. I think you articulated a number of different ways for people to get involved, and I do believe that the various committees are um, listening. I don't think they can take everyone's uh, opinion verbatim into their plan, uh, but I do think I do think they listen. And I should also throw a plug in there for any candidate uh, who is proactive in using social media to connect with people because as a parent of young children, my kids are at the age where I'm running from sport to sport to sport. So if I can if I can shoot an email or a message to someone, that helps me. So yeah. thank you. Please continue that. <laughs> All candidates. All right. Um, so thinking a little bit more about the council, and this is a question that I don't really know how anyone's going to answer. Um, is there a place for creative thinking on the council? And I ask that in saying, 
did you have a perception of the way you could influence that may have changed as a result of your first term on the council? Well, in, in my first campaign, uh, one of the things I pointed out is that I was somewhat frustrated that the council meetings were so short. There was so much business that was handled through the omnibus agenda. And um, before, before I was actually on the campaign trail, I took to attending the council meetings. And um, you could pick up the agenda as you went into the room. And I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. And then I sat there and waited for, for discussion of it. And maybe 10 or 15 minutes later, it's like, vote for adjournment. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some of those meetings. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and what, what public doesn't understand is the council gets a packet yeah. uh, that's thick with, with information about it and background on, on the items um, in advance. But I didn't know that. And uh, I think... There's more awareness now that it is accessible um, for anyone who wants to, to get that background information on the topics. What I make a practice of doing is diving into that and reading through, and um, I've, I've got an email opened with council questions, <laughs> and it's addressed to the city manager, um, and on all of the items, it's um, if I don't have a question, you know, I'll say, you know, no, this all makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. But other times it's like, you use this language here, but I, I don't quite follow. Or what was this considered? Or why that was considered? I do my best to see that that is sent to arrive no later than Monday morning at 8 a.m. Okay. Uh, because the meeting is that night. Sure. Uh, I have no desire to, to, to play politics and do a, aha, gotcha. Yep. Um, I want to give staff an opportunity to sift through the information and, and answer my questions when I feel that, you know, this is important information that I want to be part of the public record, I'll alert her that, mm -hmm. can you see that they're ready to answer this during the meeting then? Yep. And um, so I do, will then pull those agenda items. Now, uh, in, in recent times, I haven't had the chance to initiate pulling many items off the omnibus agenda because someone else might beat me to the punch. Um, but when I when a topic is off the the omnibus agenda, it gives me an opportunity to weigh in. Oh, here are my questions mm -hmm. about this. Mm -hmm. um, and in many cases, I'm not there to pontificate about I agree with this or I don't agree with this. I'm I'm asking the staff to, to communicate this because. We have a good story to tell, in my opinion. I think it's important for people to realize what the town is doing. And, um, and I think maybe, maybe they didn't realize that not enough people did realize what was going on behind the scenes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. So then have you, as we think about looking into this next election, how would you encourage voters to look at the candidates? How should we be measuring the effectiveness of the candidates, right? Because I think, again, there's narratives, there's folks who are, you know, who have particular opinions, but um, I mean, I've, I've kind of kept track with your voting record 
So I know that's that's a tool that we can use, uh, but we have some candidates who have been on either a committee or not been on anything at all. So what, do you, what goes through your head when you think about voting? Well, um, if, if you're brand new or if you're seeking re-election, I think voters should insist that the candidates provide information to the League of Women Voters for their voters guide. Okay. I mean, that's a nonpartisan piece. It's, it's accessible, they've done it all online, mm -hmm. um, so there's no printing costs associated with it. And, and I think it's important for candidates to make sure that they share their information so that it's available to anybody seeking to look them up. Yep. Um, did they participate in candidate forums? Mm -hmm. So there are, uh, the, the Republican Party had done one at a breakfast yep. early in January. WGLT, and I think co-sponsored by the League of Women Voters, is hosting one uh, coming up in early March. Okay. Um, and, and then when someone is in one of those candidate forums, are they answering the questions or are they diverting the information so they can make a political point? Yeah. Oh, that's a good statement. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you're, you're not helping if... if if you're insisting on always driving home what your position is when right. someone has a, a question that they're seeking to, to better understand. And I think I have heard people the last time uh, who had gone to multiple candidate forums and I said, oh, I'm seeing you here again. She says, yes, I want to find out if their stories change. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I mean, I and I I watched some of the Republican candidate forum on YouTube. They were gracious gracious enough to throw that out there. And uh, yeah, I, I left thinking, like I I'll, I'll be interested to see if the same questions are asked and and how the response is because that's a that can be a polarized audience. Um, and but again, that's that's why to your point, you should attend multiple. At least catch them online. I know most of them are live streamed if they are. So, all right. Um, well, that brings me to the end of the questions. So before we wrap this up, let me give you an opportunity to plug your campaign and any events you've got coming up. Well, um, if you want to have some information about who I am and my position on various items, I have a website. It's karenfornormal.com. I also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page with that same byline karen for normal f-o-r normal and if you want to email me it's at karen at k-a-r-y-n at vote karen awesome well this has been a great time thank you again for your willingness to participate in this conversation with a stranger <laughs> <laughs> i hope i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did well thank you again i appreciate the opportunity to share and and i know people took a chance on me mm -hmm. when i ran the first time uh, and I just hope that I've earned their respect to give me a, an opportunity to serve again. Absolutely. We'll get out and vote. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.